is a joy to be with you guys. Uh, as Pastor Dave said, we've been here for about a year, and one of the first weekends back in Nashville, uh, we came to check out Ethos. We heard about a church that was meeting in Cannery Row. I used to see a lot of concerts here. Uh, back in the day, I spent a lot of time there uh, before God began to wreck my heart. And so it was awesome to come here and just see what God was doing in the midst of the city. I love Pastor Dave's heart. You guys got to know your pastors, Pastor Dave and, and Pastor Aaron and, and Brandon and beyond, uh, those are some good examples of what it looks like to follow after Jesus. And when I, when I told our, our home church in D.C., I said, there's a pastor in, in uh, Nashville that's invited us to come and preach, and he's going to ask some of his people to join our church. And they said, what's wrong with that guy? And uh, I said, I don't know, but I think we need more people like him. And one of the things that we say often at Bridges is it's not about the name above the church door. It's about the name above every name. And I sense that Ethos has that heart. I love the heart among your pastors. And uh, I could just go on and on about that. Um, man, I love this city. We were here uh, from 2005 to 2010. And uh, we were in Washington, D.C. for the last seven years. And just like you think, it is the most peaceful place on the planet. Uh, and so we think, well, D.C.'s good. Let's go down to Nashville and hang. And for the last five or six years, I thought I'd be down in Nashville doing music full time. And then God began to stir in our hearts this idea of planning a church. And so we feel like, you know, we are family. I'm kind of like the weird cousin that you don't want to come to the reunion, but we feel like we are family in Christ this morning. And um, I'll tell you what, when I first met Pastor Dave, I didn't want to plan anymore. I just wanted to be an intern here at Ethos. I love what God is doing here. And so I know you guys have been in the book of 1 Peter, and we're in 1 Peter chapter 5 today. And I got to go to Marathon Music Works, what was that, like three weeks ago, and you guys were preaching out of 1 Peter, and I know you've been talking about subjects like uh, living among foreigners and foreigners living among, uh, you know, just the refugee care. I know you guys have been talking about husbands and wives submitting to one another and submitting to Christ. Uh, we've been talking about sacrifice and surrender through suffering, and I'm just really glad Pastor Dave didn't ask me to preach on one of those weeks. Um, <laughs> we're going to have some fun today. 1 Peter is jam-packed with just elements of what it looks like to follow after Jesus. Jesus was one of uh, this amazing teacher, and he had 12 disciples. Peter was one of those guys who was really close to Jesus. And so when he begins to write this letter in 1 Peter chapter 5, um, we kind of get this glimpse of where he's at and what he's going on. And so one of the elements that we're going to talk about is faith, one of the elements is peace, and one of the elements is perspective. Um, I don't usually use, you're going to see me do a lot of things with my hands. I'm kind of like Will Ferrell on Talladega Nights. I don't know what to do with my hands. And my ears stopped growing when I was seven, so this could slip down uh, at any given moment. Um, but if you have your Bibles in here, turn, if you have the Ethos Bible, turn in page 830. If you have uh, an iPhone, you can use your Uversion app. If you don't have an iPhone, the prayer team is going to be here at the end of service, and uh, they'll pray with you. Um, we're going to uh, dive in right in. You guys there, it's page 830 in your Bibles. It says in verse 7 through 9, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So as I said, a few things jump off of this text and right into my heart right away, and it's these things. And if you're taking notes, I would write these down. These are the three lenses we're going to look at this passage through. It's peace, faith, 
and perspective. The first is peace. Verse seven says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Okay, so Peter, the author of this text, he had a pretty stressful life. I'm pretty sure in the days, weeks, and months following Jesus' ascension, he had some things that were haunting him, right? I mean, Peter is known as the guy who, um, he walked on water, but he began to sink because of his doubt. Peter was the guy that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Okay, that's gonna stick with you for a little while. But maybe more than anything else, Peter was known as the guy that denied Jesus three times on the eve of his crucifixion. We know the story, right? The rooster crows, and it was a moment that could have defeated Peter. But if you read the text in that moment, we get a different picture. In that courtyard, Jesus locks eyes with Peter. I believe it was a stare that Peter never forgot. I think it was a stare that said, this isn't final. Failure isn't final. Don't let this define you. Fear isn't final. Y'all, the number one cause of anxiety on every level in the world today is fear, right? Fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of being alone, and on it goes. But do you wanna know what the most repeated command is in the New Testament? Fear not. Some 125 different times in the Gospels alone, we see some form of this phrase, fear not, take heart, be of good courage. Why? Well, I think Jesus knew that we were gonna encounter fear in our lives. Every single one of us is afraid of something. And so Jesus says, fear not. The Prince of Peace stepped into a world riddled with fear to give us life and life abundantly. He gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what it says in Philippians 4, verse 7. That's a peace that we have even when it doesn't make sense. How many of us can use some of that this morning? Uh, I moved here about a year ago, and back in February, I started driving Lyft a few days a week because as a church planner, your salary is zero. <laughs> and uh, one thing that I do every morning before I turn the app on, before I pull out of the driveway, is I just spend a few moments just praying over my car. I ask that God would just begin to fill my car with a supernatural peace, a peace that goes beyond our understanding. And then I head out. And even if a passenger is in my car for five minutes, I just pray that they would experience God's presence on some level for that moment. And uh, a few months ago, this girl, her name was Hope, and she got into my car. I could tell she was having a rough week. And she began to share her story with me because nobody thinks they're gonna see the Lyft driver again. So I hear everything and anything you can imagine. And uh, she just begins to share her story with me. She says, you know, I've been in Nashville for about a year. It's not going according to plan. And we had about a 20-minute drive out to Hermitage. And hey, if you're in my car, I've got a captive audience. So I'm gonna share my story and I'm gonna share Jesus with you. And by the time we got to her destination, you guys, uh, before she gets out, her eyes fill with tears. She said, I don't know what's going on but I've never felt the peace that I feel right here in your car in this moment. That's the power of a Hyundai Tucson. No, that's, that's the power of that supernatural peace that I'm talking about. Yo, listen, listen to this. Remember that moment where Jesus locks eyes with Peter in the courtyard, and there's that stare, right? He denies Jesus three times, and he could have let that defeat him. Well, fast forward a few weeks after the resurrection, and Jesus is cooking breakfast on a beach. Come on, if there's the beach and Jesus involved, you know something's about to go down. And Jesus is making breakfast on the beach. And Peter joins him. And, and Jesus, 
He gives him another trifecta to remember. He gives him another triple. And he had just denied Jesus three times. And this time Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I do. He says, well, feed my sheep. He does it a second and a third time. And I don't think it's too far to read into the text because what often happens around breakfast time? A rooster crows. Have you ever thought about that? Wouldn't it be interesting to know that possibly a rooster crowed and it gave Peter almost a new Pavlovian response to that happening? Instead of letting that moment defeat him, this breakfast on the beach with Jesus sets him up for the greatest ministry that he'd ever jump into. Because it's just a couple short chapters into the book of Acts that we see this same Peter, the same doubting, denying Peter stepping into his calling when he preaches and 3,000 are added to the church in one day. That's without a PA system or the internet. That's, that's pretty impressive. He goes on to establish the early church, stepping into his calling. You see, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, you're Peter, and on this rock, I'll build my church. Peter knew the Prince of Peace, and it set him free from his fears, failures, and anxieties. In his best-selling book, More Than a Carpenter, Josh McDowell explains how experiencing God's peace was one of the ways that he knew his life was forever changed. I quote, before I accepted Christ, I always had to be occupied. I had to be over at my girlfriend's place, at a party, at the student union, or running around with friends. I'd walk across the campus with my mind in a whirlwind of conflicts. I was always bouncing off the walls. I'd sit down and try to study or cogitate, but I couldn't do it. But after I made the decision for Christ, a kind of mental peace settled over me. Don't misunderstand. I don't mean that all conflicts ceased. What I found in this relationship with Jesus wasn't so much the absence of conflict as the ability to cope with it. And I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. One of my favorite verses in the Gospels is Matthew eleven twenty-eight. This is where Jesus says to everybody that's within earshot, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest, aka peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. He's still saying in this day and age, fear not. I believe for anyone who's weary, anxious, insecure, or afraid of what's happening in the world today, and trust me, I know there's a lot happening in our world today. There's a peace that's only found in Jesus. You see, Jesus never promised we wouldn't have the storm. In fact, he guaranteed it. John 16, 33, Jesus says, uh, I've told you these things that you may have peace in me. In this world, you will have trouble. He's not even like hiding that fact. In this world, you will have trouble. But it ends with take heart for I have overcome the world. That's a promise of scripture that we can lean into today. He promises that his presence will be with us in the midst of the storm. November 21st, 1873, Chicago businessman and minister Horatio Spafford sent his wife and four daughters on an ocean cruiser to begin their European vacation. And he would plan to join them just a few short days later. Well, four days into their journey at sea, their boat collided with a Scottish ship, the Loch Urn, sunk within 12 minutes, killing 226 passengers on board, including all four of Spafford's daughters. 
His wife, Anna, was among the survivors and telegraphed the horrific news back to Horatio, and it said this, saved alone, what shall I do? So Horatio boarded a ship to join his wife, and as they passed over the spot in the ocean where just a few days ago he had lost all four of his daughters, the captain caught him forward. Horatio began to pray, and in that moment, it said that he wrote the words to his now famous hymn, It Is Well. The first verse opens, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I couldn't imagine experiencing that type of tragedy. And yet we live in a world where tragedies happen every single day. We know that one day there will be no more pain, no more heartache, no more tears, but as long as we're on this side of eternity, we live in that tension of being in the storm, but knowing that Jesus is the peace in the midst of the storm. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers in Matthew 5. But you can't be a maker of peace unless you know the prince of peace. It's hard to be a carrier of peace if you don't have the spirit of peace. Now hear me, I know there's some of us today um, that deal with depression and anxiety on a very real level. I have family members that are on doctor-prescribed medicine for anxiety. I believe in the wisdom of physicians. But I also know that the Bible tells us there's a great physician. And if you haven't been able to find peace in a pill, I think you might be able to meet peace as a person. See, peace has a name, and that name is Jesus, and he's our peace in the storm. Last thing I'll say about peace is this. It's not like you're never gonna have anxiety again when, when you step into this relationship with Jesus. I mean, for me, I don't wrestle with a ton of anxiety, but I do have a lot of fear. And people have told me, Curtis, you have so much faith. I mean, you have the gift of faith. But it doesn't mean that I never have fear. I mean, y'all, I've got two toddlers, okay? My life is filled with fear. But my faith is greater. Every day I wake up and I have to answer the question, what are you gonna feed today, your fear or your faith? See, whatever you feed the most in your life, that becomes the healthiest thing in your life. So I just choose to believe what it says in 1 John 4, 4. The greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So today, I believe some of us can trade our anxiety for peace. The second thing that jumps out of this scripture is this idea of faith. It says in verse eight, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Some of us this morning need to know that it's okay to have a stubborn faith. That's a faith that would fuel Peter onward in his ministry at a time of persecution and arguments. And they're trying to figure out in the first century AD of how to establish the church. Stubborn faith stands up to the storms that life is sure to bring, and it quotes that John 4, 4 verse that I just said. It stands in the face of an enemy with a holy defiance. I love the movie based off the book, for those who read, called The Jungle Book. Well, I guess by the title, you could probably tell it was a book before it was a movie. But this is the story of Mowgli, how many of us know the Jungle Book? Okay, man, y'all got to get your Disney on this afternoon, okay? The Jungle Book is the story of this guy, Mowgli, and he's raised in the jungle by animals, and at some point, he has to face 
his, uh, his enemy, his arch nemesis. It's this prowling tiger. His name is Shere Khan. My favorite part in the movie is towards the end, and Shere Khan runs as fast as he can toward Mowgli, and Mowgli stands his ground. He doesn't bat an eye or flinch a muscle, and Shere Khan comes to a screeching halt and stops right in front of him, and they have this epic stare down, and Shere Khan gets a little afraid. He turns around and runs the other way. That's the picture of our enemy. It says in 1 Peter, he's not a lion. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He's a poser, y'all. He's not the real thing. We have the real thing. See, in Revelation 5, it says that Jesus is the lion of Judah. He stands in victory. Here's what I love about the Jungle Book, right? Uh, after that epic standoff, Mowgli now realizes the power that he carries. He's got a little strut to his step. And the entire jungle begins to lose their fear of Shere Khan. He's not so bad. Y'all realize that when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we don't just carry around our name and our power. We carry around his. It says it's the same power that raised Christ out of the grave lives in you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got nothing to fear. Romans 8.31 says, if our God is for us, who can be against us? That's a hashtag, come at me, bro. Okay? We have faith in a God who's the real lion. John 10.10 tells us the difference between a poser and the real lion. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. The way that we experience that full life that Jesus refers to here is through faith. Don't let your fear of the unknown overcome your faith in the unseen. I'll say that again. Don't let your fear of the unknown overcome your faith in the unseen. Jesus is worthy of our faith because he's been so faithful in our past. We've got to be on guard, as 1 Peter 5 says, and know the difference between the real lion and the poser. See, the enemy prowls around to destroy, but Jesus is that lion that prowls around to guard his sheep. If you read on in John chapter 10, you're going to see that Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Life wins. Jesus wins. It's Simba over Scar. The lion of Judah over the prowling poser. See, the lion poser hunts us down to take us out through fear, temptation, and doubt. But the lion king hunts us down to take us with goodness and love. I love the book of Psalms. It's a whole book of Psalm, uh, songs. Uh, it's right smack dab in the middle of the Bible, 150 chapters. I like to call it Israel's greatest hits. Okay. And uh, Psalm 23, verse 6 David writes, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. In the original translation, that term pursue was a hunting, a tracking term. God is hunting you down with goodness and love. So have faith and stand firm. The last thing that jumps out from this passage is perspective says, you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom shares a story of hiding Jews during World War II, being arrested, enduring Nazi prison camps, losing those closest to her, and coming out on the other side 
with one of the most powerful ministries and testimonies of the 20th century. During her time at Ravensbrück, one of the most hostile Nazi death camps, Corey and her sister Betsy were placed in a flea-infested, putrid, disease-ridden dorm that housed 1,400 prisoners. It was designed for 400. When they first got to the prison, the fleas were almost too much to bear. Yet Betsy reminded Corey of 1 Thessalonians 5 that says, uh, pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances and rejoice always. And Corey said, I'm not going to rejoice and give thanks for these fleas. There's no way I can do that. But eventually, Betsy got to the best of her, and she did, in fact, give thanks. And each night in their prison camp, after a long day of forced labor and ridicule from the guards, women in her dorm would gather around as Corey and her sister, Betsy, would share Bible passages. They'd sing hymns, and they'd lead in prayer vigils. Now, the Nazi patrol checked every room at night, making sure that the women weren't up to anything suspicious. Well, they checked every room except where Corey and Betsy were holding their nighttime vigils. You see, a few months later, when Betsy was assigned to sewing duty, she found out the reason that the Nazi guards never came into their room. It was the fleas. What many of us would see as suffering was actually protection. In that Nazi death camp, Corey and Betsy were able to stop asking the question of suffering, is God good and all-powerful? And they changed their perspective and started asking, how can I serve God's kingdom in the here and now? It was a shift in perspective. Perspective's everything. Uh, about a year ago, I got an opportunity to go to Uganda uh, on a mission trip that was a worship camp, and we got to uh, lead about 400 orphans in Watoto camp and just teach them songwriting and other skills and music. And uh, it was a long journey, and we had a 24-hour layover in Dubai. And if you're ever in Dubai for 24 hours, I advise you go check out the mall. It's not your normal, typical mall. And so my friend Aaron and I were walking through this mall in Dubai, and we come upon the largest aquarium we've ever seen in our lives. Floor to ceiling, this thing was massive. I think we have a picture of it. I mean, there were stingrays, there were sharks. It blew our minds. And then after about five minutes of standing here on the, the side in awe, one of our other friends said, guys, you're missing it. Come over here. So we went around the corner, and it was about two football fields long, three stories high. That's the biggest aquarium you've ever seen. See, we were stuck on this side when there was a whole bigger picture going on. We had no idea what we were missing. That, my friends, is called perspective. I think it's like getting that 30,000-foot view from what God has bigger perspective. The story of God is so much bigger than just here and now and us. It's about nations and generations. For the last 2,000 years, people have called on the name of Jesus. And as Christians, uh, for those who follow Christ, we carry his name forward to those who have yet to believe. You see, our faith isn't just for us. It's for those who come after us and stand on our shoulders. If you have a voice, it's to be a voice for the voiceless. If you're blessed, it's not just for you, but to be a blessing to others. This is why missions is so huge. I love how Ethos engages in missions, both here in Nashville and globally. Sarah and I were here when you guys were sharing your story of partnership in India, and I was just so encouraged and challenged. Global missions 
and local missions. You see, our, our sponsored church in Washington, D.C. is a church. It's called National Community Church, and I was there on staff for seven years, and I got to lead many trips to Guatemala. And the biggest takeaway anytime I went down to Guatemala was perspective, right? Anytime I start to feel like I don't have something, I start to think of kids like Juan and Julio and Emmy that showed me that in the midst of literally having nothing, they had all that they needed in Christ. It's a little hard to get mad at a small paycheck when you realize that three billion people in the world live off of less than $3 a day. It's all about perspective. So let's shift our question from is God still good to how can I serve here and now? We know that uh, Peter wrote this letter to the Roman provinces in Asia Minor when there was a lot of persecution. He doesn't tell them to run from it or to fear it. He tells them to cast their anxiety on Jesus, stand firm in their faith, and know that they don't stand alone, but rather with believers all across the world. And so we do in this day and age. So as I close, I'm praying that when you leave today, you stay alert, you stand firm in the faith. If you haven't yet crossed that line of faith, don't miss the opportunity to do so today. I know we're gonna have our prayer teams available and if you feel called to respond, they're gonna pray with you. And for those who already follow Jesus, I'm praying that you have a big perspective shift, knowing that it's not just about us here and now, but about those who have come before us and those who will come behind us. Our faith has to be centered on Jesus and not on ourselves. It goes against everything that culture would teach us. And lastly, I, I wanna close with just asking if there's anyone here who wrestles with anxiety, who wrestles with fear. I wanna let you know that the same Christ that set Peter free, who conquered sin, death, and the grave, and fear 2,000 years ago, he's here today. It tells us in the book of Matthew that where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. And Jesus being peace brings peace wherever his people are. He's here today. We don't have to live a broken life because of his Holy Spirit. Amen? He restores. He gives hope. I know in just a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to take communion. So I want to pray and just prepare our hearts. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this text. Thank you for the words that you spoke through Peter. God, thank you that we don't have to live slaves to fear, but that we can call upon the name of the Lord as we just sang earlier. We can rest in your presence. God, I pray over anybody in this room who's dealing with anxiety, fear, depression, and insecurities, and I just pray that your spirit of peace would hover over them. In this moment and throughout this week, that they would sense a nearness of your presence, God. God, I pray for those who do call themselves Christians, that we would have a bigger perspective of who you are and what you're doing, not just here and now in front of us, but across the world, and that we know that we join with believers every single time we gather together in your name. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.